0: Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at Mm oglawyers.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Big thanks to the Offshore Technology Conference for allowing us to be here. Even bigger thanks to Fifth Ring for sponsoring the Offshore Technology Conference Podcast Pavilion. Fifth Ring is a global B2B marketing and communications agency with over 30 years of experience in the energy sector and beyond. And its presence in Houston, Aberdeen, and Singapore enables the agency to help companies all over the world build better brands and sell more stuff. Learn more about Fifth Ring by visiting fifthring.com. Link is in the show notes below. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE and founded a small oil and gas consultancy and became a podcast host. And we're having great fun today here at the Offshore Technology Conference 2023. And my guest today is Alex Graham, Chief Executive Officer for Tagman Media Incorporated. his work is in Guyana welcome to our show
1: Alex thank you very much for having me Elaine it's a delight
0: thank you thank you well tell us about Guyana tell us about your presence here at OTC and 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 share some of your work there with that uh, that relates to energy
1: well thank you for the opportunity to tell you about Guyana Guyana is a relatively small country in South America uh, Guyana is the only English-speaking country in South America and Guyana is often mistaken for two countries. One is for French Guyana. At oh. lunch today here at the OTC, someone asks, isn't your native language French? And I said, well, no, we're, no, it's not French, it's English. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. So uh, back in the day, during colonialism, there were three Guyanas. British Guyana, Dutch Guyana, French Guyana. British Guyana became independent, so we're now called Guyana. French Guyana is still a French dependency and Dutch Guyana became an independent country called Suriname. So you have these three countries there. So there's all of Latin and South America speaking Spanish. There's these three countries, Guyana, Suriname, and French Guyana. That's the first thing. The second thing is when people don't mistake us for French Guyana, they mistake us for Ghana.
0: Oh, right. Well, I, I did the French Guyana mistake, but not Ghana. So
1: Well, it, it happens here a lot. We're walking through the aisles, and we said we're from Guyana. People weren't listening carefully. They assume we're from Ghana, and they start making comments or asking questions, and I have to explain that we're from Guyana. So that's really like the first thing we need to put down there. Um, we're, a, we're a small country, like I said, about 83,000 square miles, and we are populated by less than a million people. Um, we probably have about the same amount living in the diaspora, including the Guyanese diaspora here in the United States. And the majority of the eight or nine hundred thousand people live in Guyana. They live on a very narrow coastal strip. So Guyana has over ninety percent of its territory that's pristine, virgin forests. Oh, and and that's what makes the energy conversation so interesting because Guyana is rapidly developing an oil and gas industry. And the first reaction you get from the environmentalists is that you can't be doing this because it's going to do all of these things to climate change. And we say, but hold on. We have given to the world one of the greatest gifts. We have an untouched forest that's really a carbon sink. Yes. And when you think about the amount of carbon that we sequester. You, it, there's no comparison between that and the carbon footprint of the oil and gas developments that we have going on. So the way, you, the way you can confirm that is that Guyana has just been given the opportunity to be the first country to be able to sell carbon credits that are directly related to forest management. Wow, yeah. So that, so that uh, Hess has bought $750 million worth of carbon credits from Guyana. So we are contributing significantly to climate change. We're providing a set of climate services. And we believe we should have the opportunity as well to contribute to providing for the world's energy needs as they are today. And that those two things are not in contradiction. These are the issues that we were... Discussing yesterday in the Guyana session, the OTC around the World Series, right? And um, the focus was on Guyana yesterday. I, I had the privilege of being the moderator of that session, and the primary question we were asked to tackle is whether there was a conflict between us pushing offshore developments while at the same time leading on climate change. And we were saying absolutely, you can do both. Guyana is really a thought leader. On low carbon development, and we think that these things, in our case, can stand side by side.
0: Absolutely. I had no idea, and I'm so delighted that you're sharing this with us. These are important conversations, important messages for the world to understand the contributions that you're making, both in terms of climate protection and energy, um, ending energy poverty, because that's a very real. Issue around the world. So,
1: well, the, the, uh, the, uh, yes, I agree with you. These are important conversations, and I, I, I think in the world discourse, there is usually a one-size-fits-all approach right. to solutions. Right. And we are saying that you can't make one solution fit Guyana. Again, it's a complex place. Never mind, it's a small country, and we are able to provide two sets of services. There, there is an energy crisis and we can contribute to that. There's a climate crisis and we can contribute to that. And if we do both of those things responsibly those things will not be in conflict. And um, one of our leaders in the Caribbean always likes to make the point that net zero does not mean zero. Oh, to get to net fair. zero you have to have some fossil fuels in the energy mix. Right, but right. when you put that against your renewables you should net out at zero. Right. But that Fossil fuel that's in the energy mix has to be produced by somebody, right. and, and no one could provide any compelling arguments as to why Guyana should not have an opportunity to contribute to that part of the energy mix. But there's another important point I think I should mention, and it's this. The people of Guyana, we believe, like any other people in the world, deserve a chance for real development. Guyana is a very underdeveloped place for all kinds of reasons. Um, I would prefer to stay out of those reasons, but for all kinds of reasons, Guyana is a very underdeveloped place. This is our opportunity to really develop. Um, I made the point yesterday that when I was growing up, we were always told about the promise of Guyana. We learned in school about the richness of all of our natural resources. We We have resources on the ground, above the ground, below the ground. But none of these resources in my lifetime ever translated to real development. This is the first time we're able to radically transform Ghana's fortunes today and and for the foreseeable future. We believe we deserve that. I told you we have a big diaspora. And the reason we have such a big diaspora for a small country is because of all the development. People have been leaving all the time. We deserve an opportunity to stay home. We deserve an opportunity to to ask some of those people to come back home. We deserve development.
0: Yes, yes. You know,
1: I I like to come to these meetings in the United States. I get to rent nice cars and drive them (laughs) on great highways and hopefully don't break the law and get arrested for something. But why can't I do this at home?
0: Absolutely. There's no place like home. Absolutely. So we
1: deserve this and we believe that the world needs to listen to Guyana's position. On these issues, yeah. and and even Guyana's leadership, um, it, it, it has been underscored that we are thought leaders on this matter of low carbon development. Mm-hmm. Our former president Barra Jack Dio crafted a low carbon development strategy for Guyana, and um, now under our new president Irfan Ali, we are really driving that conversation that started in 2009 to demonstrate that we could. We might be a small country, but we could make an outsized impact on the primary crises facing the world at the moment.
0: Right, right. Well, what are some of these developments? I mean, let's, let's hear these developments with respect to energy that you are um, so excited about.
1: Well, that's an interesting um, ask. Um, right here at OTC, I think it was on, the, on Sunday night at OTC, ExxonMobil uh, received an award for Absolutely. just the amazing work they did in developing the Liza field yes. in what in Guyana is known as the Stabrook block. And for people in the industry who might be listening to you, oil, the ma- first major oil discovery in the Liza field was announced in May of 2015. By December of 2019, that field was producing 200,000 barrels of oil per day, roughly. So that's less than five years from discovery to production. That doesn't happen in your industry. You know this better than I do. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a true um, industry player. So you know this better than I do. The average time is roughly 10 years yeah. to get to, and this is very deep water offshore Guyana. And what you have to understand is that prior to this, we had no oil and gas industry, and therefore we had no oil and gas infrastructure. They brought the field to production in right. on the five years without, well I should say, I develop, but I said, while developing the infrastructure, while developing the capacity, while identifying the resources and the talent to do this. That's an amazing thing. Yes. Yes. Now, is a big field, so there's Liza phase one and Liza phase two. Liza phase two came on stream and together they're producing approximately 400,000 barrels of oil a day. And so that would mean that between discovery and eight years, they had two developments taking place. Right. That's extraordinary. Right. By, by any measure, I walk up and down OTC to learn. Yeah. And by any measure, that's extraordinary. The third uh, FPSO sailed into Ghana within the last few weeks. And it's being ready for production to take them up to about 600,000 barrels of oil per day in under 10 years. Yeah. So you could just imagine how that's impacting the country. Um, we have We have income that's just unbelievable for a small country in such a short time frame. And we have all kinds of opportunities and those things are happening together. And so it's a very, very dynamic time and things are changing faster than you could think yeah, in Guyana yeah, really. Yeah.
0: yeah, well that's a, an exciting story and now we have it you know, recorded um, for rec- you know, people who are even outside of the oil and gas sector to see, appreciate and understand that the conversation, the narrative really has a lot of facets to it and there are some nuances. As you say, one size does not fit all and the people of Guyana will definitely benefit from this investment, this cooperation, um, while still making a contribution uh, toward climate. So that's um, that's a fascinating story. Well, so tell us some of the um, aspects of the uh, community engagement, if you will, with respect to this development, other developments, future developments, um, you know, the people of Guyana obviously are engaged and interested in this. What is some of the work that you've been doing on, on community uh, engagement uh, friends? Well,
1: I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that's a fascinating thing for us. Let me give you a little backstory first of all. Sure, sure. Guyana is a plural society in every sense of the word. We have a broad mix of races and ethnicities. Oh, okay. So it's a very complex society. And we therefore have, I, I, I mentioned that 90% of the people probably live on 10% of the land.
0: Right, right. And
1: and on that coastal strip, you have a mixture of of Native Native American communities. Let me say Native American, so I, I make the description simple for an international audience. So you have Native American comu- um, communities, and then you have... Um, descendants of Africans who were taken as slaves by Europeans who had colonized Diana. Right. And then you have, when slavery was abolished, the Europeans went looking for fresh labor. So they brought indentured laborers from India, and then from Portugal, and then from China. I might have the order wrong. My, my history teacher won't be happy with me <laughs> if she's listening. Um, <gasps> but essentially, you have that primary mix. So you have Europeans who, right. re- who remained, you have the natives who were met there, and then you have these African descendants, Indian descendants, Portuguese descendants, Chinese descendants, I, I, I forgot the Chinese. Right. So we like...
0: And you're in South America.
1: And we're in South America. Right, right. So, so already we're a complex place, right. and this mix of peoples are living primarily on the coast. And even though we are living on the coast, there are vast swaths of the coast is undisturbed. So, the introduction of the oil and gas developments is, is really not just transformative, it's disruptive. So, you have now developments going on offshore where nothing happened before, and you have to educate these communities about what's taking place. A lot of these communities live on, off the near shore.
0: Right, right. A lot of
1: fishing going on near shore and so that's just one thing fishing is just one example Mm -hmm. the other thing is that we are we are a habitat for all kinds of unique things for example um, there are some species of turtles that nest in the very northwestern end of our narrow coastal plain and we have a number of conservationists who've done a lot of work to ensure the health and well-being of the turtle species that use um, a beach we call Shell Beach in Guyana. And so that's a critical thing. Mm -hmm. And so when this development starts to happen suddenly, it has this jolt for the society and the culture of the people. Um, there are environmental impacts of one kind or another. So one of the things that my company is working with the developers on is actually going to the communities and explaining. We take, you know, we, we, well not we take, but we travel with um, teams that comprise people from the Environmental Protection Agency and people from the communi- you know, community representatives and from the developer, ExxonMobil and its joint venture partners. They have their technical people on those teams and this is part of the environmental impact studies. Um, the two, there are two companies that have been doing those studies now, both of them are American companies, again because you know, we have to give time for the capacity to be built. So we go out and we explain to these communities what these developments are and what are the broad range of consequences of these developments taking place offshore. And once we've provided that education, We then sit with the communities in public meetings and ask them, well, tell us what your concerns are now that we've explained what these projects are going to be like. And all of those concerns get recorded by the Environmental Protection Agency. And the consultants, the environmental consultants, are then required to go and study those things that are of concern to the communities.
0: Right, right.
1: When those studies are done, we then get back out there and from one end of the coast to the next, we visit the communities, the same ones we went to in the first round, and we said, look, when we came here, you said you were concerned about the mangroves, or you said you were concerned about fish catches, or you said you were concerned about the potential of an oil spill, whatever it is, the impacts of, of an oil right, spill. Right,
0: And those would be real concerns.
1: Very real concerns. Yeah. And so we go back and said, well, look, these things have been studied, Here are the results of the studies. And you know, we 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 discuss those results and their questions. The EPA then uses the 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 meetings and the findings of the study to make a decision on the environmental permits that Exxon and its joint venture partners are trying to get. To have these developments take place, yeah. and so we're we're kind of in the heart of that work.
0: Right, right. So, uh, so let's unpack that just a little bit. So, the education process. I mean, these are all members of the community. Some are more comfortable in that space, some are less comfortable in the space, some are more comfortable with you, some are less comfortable with you or your teams or whoever the, uh, the stakeholder who's leading the stakeholder meetings. Um, and some are comfortable and less comfortable with new ideas and learning new concepts and just sort of digesting that information. So it seems to me that there would be a, an iterative process with understanding the, to ensure that the uh, community understands what you're talking about and then have them think about what is a benefit how do I define a benefit the benefit for me as we said one size does not fit all um, the benefit for me may not be the same as a benefit for you that, as, as to be defined so does is that a challenge how do you how do you well it is, a ch-
1: it is a challenge um, again these are very technical and complex issues and You know going in that the communities are not always able to in the first visit or first go around to absorb everything they're being told. These are these are things that they never heard about. You know, somebody says to you, well, you know, we're drilling in two thousand meters of water and somebody says, Well, what's that? I mean We right. don't even fish that far out right. you know? yeah, so true. so a lot of this a lot of this is really eye opening and and you're right the the I think with every development, every round of engagements, people are learning more and going in confidence but uh, to your point it's not just that people are understanding and appreciating this at differential levels it's also that these are complex problems, and these are issues of concern to the planet. And you have people far removed from a coastal village in Guyana, but who are very near because of the potential for climate impacts. And those people are also influencing the communities, it's not just us. This is not a closed system right, where we right, could go right. in with a team and say, well, you know, we're gonna drill there and we promise you nothing is gonna happen. Somebody is also telling those same people that never mind what they say, here is what could happen. Right. So it's a, very, it's a very complex and dynamic situation. And, and what I have observed is that the, the communities are getting more and more confident with time. And more and more people in Guyana and in the rest of the world are becoming more and more interested in what's taking place there. As you know, there are people who would like all drilling to stop tomorrow all over the world. Right, right. And those people are not going to miss an opportunity to try to influence what's taking place in Guyana. And sometimes that might mean that you need to influence the communities that we're talking to. Now, I'm not taking a position on that one way or the other. I'm just saying that it makes the problem a lot more complex, right. and while I I summarize the process, it does not mean that this is without challenge. It is, it is with, with with significant challenges.
0: Right, right, and um, people, as they start to think about things, uh, maybe not having absorbed all the information, and in the absence of that appreciation will start to make up scary things, and so it, it, you know, there's just many levels of people's understanding of what the challenges truly are, and what the mitigation might be, or what the protections might be like, and and what well, people uh, see TV and people see TV, and all they
1: have to do is to see one news item right. about an oil spill someplace. Right. It, it might not even be an oil spill that's in the context of today's technologies.
0: Right. It could right. be
1: a reference to a story that happened, you know, one of those that happened way back when. Right. And that's enough to scare a village. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: You just need one person to see that and come back. And I'm, I'm not saying this to try to be unfair to villagers. Like I said, I'm trying not to take sides in what is a very delicate balance. I'm trying to, to always wear the, 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 the hat of a facilitator. Right as opposed to taking one sides on the issues as they come up. Right. But, but you could imagine, you can have a group of people traveling to do a, a, a scoping meeting in a village. You have another group of people warning the village of, of, of impending doom and you somehow have to navigate those things. Part of my job is to try to get everybody from the beginning of the meeting to the end in, in some structured fashion okay that the engagement is useful mm-hmm. that people receive information and that they're able to contribute to the decision-making process right. and and that's what my job in there is yeah. really yeah. yeah um do i get criticism as well for my job? absolutely yeah. because sometimes allowing the process to work does not make everybody happy and so i i i, I do face um right. pushback right. Because of trying to do that, but but I I, I treat that as part of the growing pains of trying to develop rapidly, given how we've been finally blessed to exploit resources that we've always had.
0: Right, right. So okay, and uh, the blessings of being able to uh, monetize those resources in a way that benefits the 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 owners, I guess you know the people. Uh, what are some of those things that um, would be the vision for how to help uh, Guyana?
1: Well, I, I might sound like if I'm the government's representative now.
0: Well, no, but I mean, we talked about the stakeholders' <laughs> no, point no, of view. No, 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 but absolutely yeah. no. I'm,
1: I'm yeah. not shying away from it. I'm just, I'm just saying that going in, it's, it's difficult to be fair in Guyana and not sound like a government representative because the government of Guyana does have. A very aggressive development agenda. Even in the even in previous governments where development might have been on their minds, or previous times in, in in Guyana's governance over the last fifty years, there was no there were no resources to match the vision. What we have today is a vision, uh, a development plan and the resources to fund it. Oh, okay, the, stars
0: are, the stars are lining up for
1: us. The stars are lining up for Guyana. Yeah. Um, President my friend, he's a rock star um, in, in Guyana's terms, and so the stars are truly lining up. So, in every area, starting with education, healthcare, infrastructure, skills development, um, to name the first few, we are, we are trying to rapidly transform If you go to Guyana today, there are hospitals being built in every major region of the country today. If you go to Guyana today, there are major sports facilities being built in four or five different places today. Um, In my other life, I work in sports, and I used to be president of Swimming Guyana. When we built one Olympic-sized pool, it was a big event, the whole country had to stop because we had a pool. Now you have Olympic-grade facilities being built in different parts of the country at the same time. Hospitals, Olympic facilities, we just had more graduates in an education program in at once than we have ever thought possible. So that
0: has meaning to me. I mean, being the first in my family to go to college is is really exciting. I mean, my, my cousins, my generation in our family, I'm not the only one. But the point is, is that yeah, that's really exciting. That education has created so many opportunities for me, including podcast host. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that. If education you go home, to
1: the Guyana booth, and I hope you do, I will. You will. You if I'm there, you'd meet me. <laughs> and you'd probably meet um, Dr. Peter Ramsarup, who's the government's chief investment officer, who's leading the team here. There are more than 110 members of the delegation that's here. Oh, um, but you will find a significant number of people below 35 in the booth working on. So we have our, our team is comprised of government, uh, the the government's office for investment, and then there's the chamber of commerce the Georgetown Chamber of Commerce, there's the American Guyana Chamber, AmCham, and then you have a number of private sector companies. If you go over there, you would notice the majority of the representatives and and delegates are young people, people below 30. This guy who was here with me is, I I don't know if he's 25. (laughs) In Guyana we'd say he hasn't lost his mother's features yet. (laughs) is our way of describing that someone yeah. is still um, still pretty young. I love
0: that. I love that.
1: But, but we have mostly young people. This is a, really a chance. This is a young country l- led by young people. Our president is in his 40s. Our president just celebrated the first or second birthday of his first child. And he and his wife were expecting another child. They're a young, They're family, a young family. A young president, young first lady, young family, a lot of young professionals who are driving this development. It's a very, very exciting time.
0: It is a very exciting time. I'm just hearing you talk about it. Is so well, I, I,
1: I usually say publicly when I'm at an event with the president, that, look, I've been waiting for this. I'm going to die before any of these <laughs> things happen. And the president will say to me, no, 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 we're trying to do this really quickly so that at least you will get a chance to, to enjoy some to of enjoy it. But that, that's it's the reality. It. Yeah. It's, it's a young, dynamic country, yeah. young people who are driving this, and... Um, I, I didn't even mention housing development, but we are, we are probably building more houses in the last five years and projected the next five years than all the houses that exist in Ghana. And I'm just making that comparison up on my feet, yeah. um, ju- just to just to emphasize. It might be inaccurate, but just, I'm just trying to make the point that transformation is taking place at a rate that's unbelievable. Last illustration. Airlines that haven't flown to Guyana for forty years are coming back. Yeah. One such is British Airways. Oh.
0: They're
1: flying a seven seven seven. You had to go and build a bridge, and connect it to the airport building, uh, terminal. You had to build a bridge that could handle that aircraft yeah. because, yeah. You know, yeah. we're a seven three seven max. End of story. Right. I'm, I'm just I'm, I, again, right. I'm, I'm I'm stretching these illustrations just to make the point. That the, the development is rapid and the resources are there. In five years from now, I wouldn't recognize Diana.
0: Right, right. Uh, Alex, so we're almost at time. Um, do you have something else you want to share with everyone? I really appreciate you being here, but we are almost out of time. Do you have something else you want to share?
1: Yes, just, just quickly to say yeah. I mean, I'm glad for this platform to speak to your audience and, and to your global audience. And, and what I would just would like to encourage people to do is to do some research on Guyana and for those who can visit Guyana oh, yeah. and for those who can invest in Guyana. If if you could do those three things, you'd be the greatest help to us. The the all majors are already doing their major development and and but there are opportunities available for people to come to partner with Guyanese companies. And, and, and even if it's just to visit and enjoy our ecotourism product, just to make a contribution to our economic development. If, if that's the one thing I'm able to contribute by talking with you here, that would be satisfactory for me.
0: Well, okay, that's, that's perfect. I mean, it's so important for people to understand that energy is fundamental to everything, every part of human development. And we certainly want everyone to be able to take advantage of the natural resources that their that their space has been endowed with. So I'm happy to hear the story. We're going to have to have you back because this is just a fascinating story. So Alex Graham, Chief Executive Officer of Tagman Media Incorporated, thank you so much for being on our show today.
1: Thank you very much, Elena. This has been my delight.
0: Oh, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review and tell us what you like and we'd like to hear about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.